Well, good evening, everyone. My name's Chris. If uh, I haven't met you before, it's good to see you all. Uh, we've got seven evening meetings this term, and each one we're going to look at a different conversation with the King. We're looking at Jesus' life on earth, and we're asking what happened when people encountered him. But it's not just a historical study. Jesus is alive, and he is with us right here by his Holy Spirit tonight. And because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, as we look at these conversations, you can expect to hear his voice speaking to you. Jesus wants to meet with you tonight, and that is the best news. There is nothing we need more in January 2020 than to meet with Jesus. So that's what we're doing tonight. And we're going to look at a conversation Jesus had with a fisherman called Simon Peter. I say a conversation, it was so much more than that, as we're going to see. It's uh, in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. So let's read it together. If you've got a Bible, you can turn there, or it's going to be on the screen. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. That's Jesus. Uh, Lake of Gennesaret is just a, the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let, your net, let down your nets for a catch. And Simon said, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when he had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This encounter transformed Simon Peter and his fellow fishermen. It compelled them to leave everything behind, their business, their possessions, their way of life, and it turned them into dedicated followers of Christ. Jesus calls each one of us to undergo that same transformation. And the first and the most important thing that happened, that changed in Simon through this encounter was how he saw Jesus. This isn't the first time that Simon's met Jesus, by the way. By this point, he's already, he already knew him, or at least he thought he did. We know from the chapter before that uh, Jesus has already spent time in Simon's house. He's even healed Simon's sick mother-in-law. But seemingly, none of that had radically changed Simon's life like this encounter was about to. At the start of the story, he's still just going about his life as normal. 
Now, no doubt, Simon held Jesus in great respect. He calls him master in verse 5. I think we can be confident that Simon already saw himself as a disciple of Jesus, the rabbi, at the start of the story. But by verse 8, Simon's view of Jesus is transformed. He falls at his knees, addressing him as Lord. We must understand the huge difference between these two titles, master and Lord. It's a little bit like the difference between your line manager and the owner of your company, okay? The turning point to get him to that place, of course, is the miraculous catch of fish. This wasn't the first miracle that Simon had seen Jesus perform. I just said he'd Jesus had just healed his mother-in-law. It's probable that he'd also already seen Jesus turn water into wine by this stage. But something about this brought clarity about who Jesus was. His power, his, his otherness, his authority. It's hard to overstate how ridiculous Jesus' instructions to Simon would have seemed initially. He told him to put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. So this is a carpenter from the highlands of Nazareth telling a really experienced fisherman how to catch fish. I'd be surprised if Peter wasn't just like a little bit irritated at this advice. Like he and his partners had been working all night. They were almost certainly really tired. They caught nothing. Jesus had even extended Simon's shift by asking him if he could use his boat in the morning so that he could preach from it to the crowds. And now it's the middle of the day, which is the worst time to catch fish. All the fishermen knew that the best fishing was to be had at night when the fish were feeding and they couldn't see you coming. They also knew that it was the shallow water in the Lake of Galilee by the shore where you caught most of your fish because the fish hung around in oxygen-rich water where there was water feeding into the lake at its edges. So on two counts, Jesus advice was terrible, but immediately he proved that he isn't bound by conventional wisdom, and he's not bound by the rules of nature either. Psalm 95 reminds us that everything belongs to him. It says, in his hands are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Through the miracle, Jesus revealed himself to be all-knowing, and he showed that he had authority over creation. These are the attributes of God himself. Now, perhaps like Simon, you thought you knew Jesus. Maybe you're familiar with his teaching, or you, you know stories about him, or you've grown up in church, or whatever. But have you submitted to his lordship over your life? This is so, so important. Have you submitted to his lordship? Jesus wants to give you a greater revelation of who he is. Now, we see the, the power and the majesty of Jesus in this miracle, but we also see his kindness and his gentleness. In order to get through to Simon in a way that he's going to understand, Jesus stepped into his world and did a miracle that would have had special significance to Simon. Simon must have just been amazed at this man, that he would be willing, this man with all this power, he would be willing to sit in a boat with Simon. But he did. 
He drew near to Simon. And he draws near to every one of us. It's amazing to think that the God who made the universe speaks to us personally on our level. He is not distant. He's not aloof. He's kind and he is close. He cares about you and he wants to reveal more and more of himself to you, just as he did to Simon Peter. So encountering Jesus enables us to have our view of him transformed. And when we see Jesus clearly, it also enables us to see ourselves in the correct light. This was the second transformation that took place in Simon in this story. Being face to face with the awesome power of Jesus made him very aware of his own shortcomings. You know, at the start of the story, if you'd asked Simon what his, his greatest area of strength was, I think it's a good bet that he would have said, I'm quite good at fishing. Yet Jesus showed that even in Simon's greatest area of strength, he still couldn't hold a candle to Jesus. This whole encounter made Simon ask, who am I? And he realizes in verse 8, I am a sinful man. Now, sin is, is living our own way rather than God's way. And in the presence of Jesus, Simon realized he was a sinner. And the truth is, each of us has fallen short of the perfection required by God. Simon had to face up to his own sin and his own inadequacy. When we approach God, that's not a bad place to start. But Jesus didn't leave Simon there, and he doesn't leave us in that place either. Now, the sense of being less than God is precisely what God is looking for. It's something that he can work with in us. And instead of condemning Simon for his sin, Jesus says, do not be afraid. We all need a savior. That's exactly why Jesus came. When he was nailed to the cross, all our sin and shame was nailed there too, and it died with him. When we repent, like Simon did, we get to receive forgiveness. If you've never admitted your sinfulness and asked Jesus for forgiveness before, he's inviting you to do that this evening. I want to encourage you to speak to somebody about that before you leave here tonight. It could be a friend, or it could be me, or Dan who's leading a meeting, whoever. It's the most important thing we can do. Stripped of his confidence in himself, Simon was asked to place all of his confidence in Jesus. In order to be followers of Jesus, we must first realize our desperate need of him. But the good news is that he is the one who meets every need. So encountering Jesus transforms our view of him and it transforms our view of ourselves. The third thing we see in the story is that encountering Jesus results in a radical transformation of our priorities. Simon and his business part partners spent the night before doing what they would have done most nights, toiling hard, earning a living. It's what their lives would have revolved around. Now, working hard isn't a bad thing. Don't 
mishear me here, providing for yourself and your family through the work that God's given you to do is a really good thing. But when Simon encountered Jesus here, he knew that he had found something far better than the earthly wealth that he was hoping to accumulate before. You've got to understand that a massive catch of fish, like the one that uh, we just read about, was, it was worth a good amount of money. Catches like this were what every fisherman in Simon's community would have dreamt of. This is like Simon's chance to live the dream. But the story doesn't end with Simon getting rich and building his family, their dream home in the country. It ends with him and his partners leaving everything behind and following Jesus. So faced with a choice between material comfort and prosperity on the one hand and God on the other, Simon and his friends chose God. And for them, this was a path that led to hardship, persecution, and ultimately death. But it also led to fullness of life and eternity with God. Following Jesus means we are no longer driven by the things that the world prioritizes. We're told constantly, directly and indirectly, aren't we, that life is all about finding uh, your perfect job or the, the, the perfect house in the right area or the partner that will complete us or whatever it is. Jobs and homes and spouses and children and finances, they're all, they're all great gifts from God to be enjoyed, sure, but in and of themselves, they are fleeting pleasures and they will never, ever fully satisfy you. So don't let these things be what drives you. Jesus gives us a whole new set of priorities. Will he ask every one of his followers to give up their job or move to another city? No, he won't. Often he asks us to serve and glorify him where we are in our current job, our current place, whatever. But the point is that we are living for him now and we are obedient to his call, whatever that looks like. As followers of Jesus, we, we also don't live according simply to the, the wisdom of the world. We have a new Lord, and he may sometimes ask you to do things that don't make sense. Can you imagine if Simon and his, his business partners had had a financial advisor and what he would have made of their decision to like leave their business, potentially lucrative business behind, and all their possessions behind as well, and go off and follow this guy called Jesus? That wouldn't have made much sense. The story is, is full of little examples of obedience from Simon and the others. When Jesus asked him to put out into the deep and let down his nets, I've already said what a laughable piece of advice that was, and you can almost hear the doubt in Simon's tone as he explains that they'd kind of already fished all night and not caught anything. But crucially, he also says, but at your word, I will let down the nets. His obedience preceded the, the miracle. God may ask you to do some unusual things or things that you don't want to do. Start a conversation with a stranger or pray for a friend or tell your neighbor about Jesus. But even when you feel like the chances of success are low or it might be embarrassing, remember that your priorities as a follower of Jesus have changed. Following him is more important than avoiding embarrassment. And who knows what miracle God might do as a result of your obedience. So when Jesus calls us to follow him, it 
transforms our priorities on the very deepest level. Very much linked to this, Jesus also transforms our purpose as we follow him. He said to Simon, from now on you will be fishers of men. He calls Simon into a life of evangelism, telling other people about Jesus and calling them into his plans and purposes, and he calls us to do just the same. But Jesus doesn't just send Simon on a mission, like some armchair general. Before he commissions him as a fisher of men, he models what he's asking him to do. He catches Simon, if you like. Jesus invites him and he invites us to partner with him in the work that he's already doing. And we must remember that as we tell people about Jesus, as we serve God, Jesus is working through us by his Holy Spirit. He is the one who empowers us in our task. He's the only one who can change the hearts of the people that we're speaking to or the people that we're trying to help anyway. So if we're to follow Jesus, we must first understand who he is and understand our desperate need of him. And this transforms our priorities as we receive a new and wonderful purpose from him. Just as he called Simon Peter, he's calling you to follow him. And I think it's really important that we understand what Jesus means by follow, because our, our culture uses the word in lots of different ways that may undermine how we follow him. So to help us with this, I want to give you three pictures of what following Jesus is not. Firstly, following Jesus is not like following someone on social media obvious statement you may say. Bear with me. I, I think sometimes our lives are a bit like an Instagram or a Twitter feed where we're, we're opening ourselves up to a range of influences and voices that you like to hear. Maybe you like having some Christian input once in a while or you like some of what Jesus has to say so you just kind of add him in there to the rest of the voices. And in this false version of following Jesus. We aren't submitting ourselves to his lordship at all. You might be inviting Jesus into your heart, but all you're doing is just asking everything else that's already in there to budge up a bit and make some room. Truly following Jesus is giving our whole heart to him, our whole life to him. It's surrendering control. Jesus isn't interested in sharing your affections or being one influence among many. If your career success or your bank balance or being liked by your colleagues or, I don't know, a political agenda, if, those, if that's the main thing shaping your life, then Matthew 6, 24 reminds us that we can only follow one thing at a time. You cannot follow two masters. You cannot follow those things and follow Jesus at the same time. So following Jesus isn't like following someone on social media. Following Jesus is also not like following an exercise regime or a diet plan. And there's a very real danger for all of us that in our attempts to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, we start to rely on our own efforts and we start focusing more on rules and a checklist than our relationship with Jesus. 
We get bogged down in our performance rather than enjoying the person of Jesus. True Christianity is is not a to-do list. It's a person, and he's the one who empowers us to live that life that he's called us to. Self-effort gets us nowhere. Actually, it's worse than nowhere because we either become crushed under the weight of failure or we kind of think we become puffed up, proud, because we're doing all right. And neither of those two things are what God has for us. It's only by his spirit that we can follow Jesus. It's only by walking daily in relationship with him, relying completely on him that we can follow him. Finally, following Jesus is not like following a sports team. I love sport. I am really passionate about the teams that I follow, as my wife will testify. I like to read about team selection and talk about the game with friends. I especially love attending matches. Pretty much, I love all the trappings of sport. I think it would be fair to say. But none of that makes me a player, as you can tell. There's a big difference between sitting in the stands each Saturday and being a player in the game. And Jesus, Jesus is calling you to be a player in his game, as it were, not a spectator. As a sports fan, you can wear the right colors on the outside, but that doesn't require the inner transformation that becoming an athlete demands. Being a player, on the other hand, that requires a lifestyle of dedication, seven days a week. Being a follower of Jesus isn't just about being able to talk the talk or even attend church on a Sunday, as great as that is. It's about pursuing Jesus and seeking him each day in private and in public. It's about finding your joy and your peace in him. It's about allowing him to shape every part of your life. The final picture I want to share with you is one that Jesus gave us in the Bible. It shows us what it really means to follow him. He said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The cross is a picture of death. And Jesus is saying here that if we're to truly follow him, we must die to ourselves. But look at the promise that follows. When we die to ourselves, leaving everything behind to follow Jesus, that is when we find true life. Jesus said, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. The greatest thing you could do with your life is to give it to Jesus and follow him. So as we respond, I want us to think about the three pictures that I gave of what following Jesus is not. Do you identify with any of these pictures? As I was talking about them, did you realize that you perhaps have a tendency to follow Jesus in that way? Or you creep into that way of thinking? Right now, we're just going to break into wee groups of three or four uh, to discuss this with one another. If you wouldn't call yourself yet a follower of Jesus, then I want you to just think about this question. Who or what do you follow? And have you ever thought about it before? 